Amen. Amen. Excited to open up God's word together uh, this morning. If you've been with us in our series of 1 Timothy, uh, man, I hope that you uh, have your little black journal. Uh, if not, man, if you haven't been with us, we do have some extra copies there of a little black journal that we're going through. First uh, Timothy and Second Timothy with, uh, in anticipation for going autonomous here uh, in January 1st. If you're w- working through your book uh, and you see a gap uh, in there, uh, we are not skipping the end of chapter 3, all right? So don't, uh, don't accuse us of skipping the text, all right? We didn't do that, uh, all right? We actually started with the end uh, of chapter 3 the very first week, right? So very few times in Scripture do we have the author who literally uh, tells us, hey, this is why I wrote this to you, right? And so uh, 1 Timothy is an exception. Like we literally have Paul telling Timothy, man, this is why I wrote this letter so that you would know how to conduct yourself in the household of God, right? So we started with that uh, week one. Pastor Jeremy uh, unpacked that. If you weren't with us, man, I would just encourage you to go to fellowshipolatha.com to, to look up uh, that sermon because it's just so crucial uh, in how we understand uh, the letter itself. And so today uh, we'll be in, in chapter four of 1 Timothy. Uh, I have the privilege of talking about uh, the mess this week. Uh, and then uh, next week, uh, Pastor Jeremy gets to come on and kind of clean up the mess and talk about how to uh, work through and get through uh, the mess. And so this week uh, we're talking about uh, building the church in the mess. Now, when I was in high school, I played trumpet. I played trumpet, and uh, I particularly remember uh, this one year uh, because we would do a a marching band show at the uh, halftime of the football games, right? Uh, One of my favorite parts. And so we we would put on a show, and in particular one week, uh, we had our best trumpet player who had the solo during our show. Uh, He got sick, all right? And so we all knew that that was our opportunity that we got to try out for this solo uh, to play uh, in the middle of Halftime, And so I took the opportunity uh, to come into the uh, band instructor's office to try out for this solo. Uh, so I walk into his office uh, right before school started, and I walk in, and, man, the office is just kind of peaceful. You know, it's got, like, the cool artwork on the, on the wall, and it's got the leather chair that I got to sit in with a little bottle of water that's set right next to me uh, in case I got thirsty. Right, I got to have the, the notes kind of sit in front of me uh, right before I got to, to play the solo for him uh, to try out. The air conditioning was just right. And I played the solo, and I did so well. And I got the solo to play during the halftime show of the high school football game. Now, here's the problem. Right before I went out for the solo for the high school football game, none of those conditions existed uh, anymore, Right? Right before I go on the field, man, the stands are packed with people, right? My family is watching. They're kind of staring me down with the weird video recorder thing back in the day, right? They've been talking all week about, hey, this is Drew's week, man. He gets to play the solo. Man, it's cold. It's cold outside as I get ready to go out there. I've been in school all day, right? We, I'm tired. We played for two hours before the halftime show. In fact, there's like a cheerleader over in the stands that I had a crush on, and she was like watching me. And so there was this pressure that existed. And then there's the people around me and the band inside that, that, that also wanted that solo, kind of hoping I would mess it up so that maybe they could step in and they could do it the next time. Right in this letter to, from Paul to, to Timothy here uh, in chapter 4, we see that as Paul has instructed the pastor of this church in Ephesus what church should look like, how they should conduct themselves, we've seen this really cool emphasis on some specific things that we also want to emphasize as Fellowship Olathe as we go autonomous, that he's emphasized the word, 
That they are to be a people of the word. We want to be a people of the word. That they are a people of prayer, dedicated to prayer. We want to be a people dedicated to prayer. They are a people that does not stray from the true gospel. We want to be a church that stays with the true gospel. And then last week, that we want to be a people. Man, this is what your leaders should look like. This is what your elders and deacons should look like as they lead you. We want to be a church that looks like that as well. But in chapter four, as we turn the page, we're reminded that Paul is telling Timothy that you aren't leading this church of Ephesus in an air-conditioned room, an air-conditioned conference room that's soundproof, right? That you're leading this church in a battle zone, in the mud, in the mess, that he's got to go about this business of building his church and these relationships and these people that are together with enemies and traps and oppositions, not only from the outside, but sometimes from the inside. And it's critical that Timothy and his people and us at Fellowship Olathe, that we face the reality that as we build our congregation, as we care for our congregation, we don't do so in pristine conditions, but in a fallen world. But we continue the task because it's a worthy task. We cling to the one who has already overcome, who promises victory, as we just sang about, who declares that the church will be built on the rock of Christ and that not even the gates of hell shall prevail against it. And so as we open the text today in 1 Timothy chapter 4, what I want us to see together is I want us to see together four keys to building a church amongst the mess. Four keys of building a church amongst the mess. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me, 1 Timothy chapter 4, simply just verses 1 through 5 this week. Once again, next week, come back. Jeremy's going to clean up and talk about how to persevere through the mess. And so here we go, chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insecurity, insincerity of liars and consciousness who are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So the first key that I want you to see as you open up 1 Timothy chapter 4, the first key to building this church in the mess is, number one, don't be surprised that some fall away. We see right from the jump in verse 1a that, that this is really a major theme of Paul's letter to Timothy here in 1 Timothy. We see in chapter 1, verse 6, he talks about people swerving from a pure heart, good conscience, and sincere faith. We see in chapter 1, verses 19, that some people are making a shipwreck of their faith. We see in the future, in chapter 5 here, that some are straying after Satan. We see in chapter 6, verse 10, that some are wandering away from the faith. We see in chapter 6, verse 21, that some are swerving, once again that word, swerving, from the faith. That this is a major theme in Timothy's letter that he receives from Paul. That some who were a part of their fellowship at Ephesus that had once sat in the seats, they had sang the songs, they went to the potlucks, they went on the mission trips, they prayed with them, they rejoiced with them, they said the right things. Now they look up and they were no longer with them. 
Paul opens this section of his letter with a, a subtle kind of parent in the faith moment where he tells Timothy, hey, man, do you remember? I told you that this would happen, right? Remember my words. Like the spirit said, I, I told you that this would happen. Now we don't have uh, the correspondence that Timothy sends to Paul, but I, I can imagine, picture this with me, that Timothy trying to lead this body of believers in Ephesus, looking at his people one day and realizing that some of the people that he started with in Ephesus, they sat in their living room with, that he mourned with, that he celebrated with, they were no longer there. They had turned to another gospel. And this pains Timothy because he loved these people. So you can imagine in his communication with Paul, he writes, Paul, what am I doing wrong in this church? Man, what am I doing wrong? Why are these people leaving, the ones that I thought were with me, that I loved? Well, notice what Paul doesn't write to him in 1 Timothy. Paul, his response isn't, hey, Timothy, man, if you just would have said this, they wouldn't have left. Timothy, man, if you just wouldn't have done these things, if you had it this way, if you would have done this this way, man, that these people wouldn't have left. Paul writes instead, doesn't he see in verse one, did not the spirit expressly say? In other words, Timothy, you've got to take this weight off of yourself. This is not you, right? Do not carry that burden. The Spirit has been clear over and over and over again that this would be a product of the times that you specifically live in. He uses this phrase. Do you see it there in verse 1? This phrase, later times. He uses a very similar phrase in his second letter to Timothy as well. This is referring to this time period between when Jesus ascended to the Father, right, and then one day when he comes back to make all things new and restore and then faith becomes sight, right? And so we have this, this period of time that exists between those two things, and we find ourselves in this period waiting in which victory has been achieved, right, and proclaimed, but we're waiting for it to be fully worked out. This paradox of already, but not yet, and thus... There is the capacity for people to be associated with the household of God for periods of time, but yet not truly secure in Christ, and thus do what the text says here and fall away. The Greek word that we have here for fall away is where we get the English word apostate, one who has fallen away, or apostasy. But I want to be very clear. This is not the same thing. There's a different word. This is not the same thing as people who are struggling with their faith. All right? This is not the same thing where there's a different word for 1 Timothy in which he continually reflects the patience of God is what leads people to repentance, the patience of God that you should display. Right? So this is not the same thing as, as people struggling and wrestling with the claims of Jesus in which we see in the book of Jude that we should have, we should have patience with. We should have mercy on those who doubt. That's, that's not this. These are people who once claimed Christ that have now fallen away. As we see in 2 Timothy, we get an example in Demos who it says, love the world more than he loved the things of God. And so Paul says, hey, the Spirit has expressly written these things, that you should have known the things, things were coming. 
In fact, Paul, this is not new to him. Paul has experienced this, and Paul is recorded that he says these things to Timothy and the elders at Ephesus earlier. I love this this book because we get uh, multiple sources, right? We have the book of Acts in which it's recorded. Man, Paul, this is what Paul was saying to the church at Ephesus, the the church that Timothy is leading. And then we have the the letter to the Ephesians that kind of also talks about these same issues. And then we have this letter to Timothy that talks to the pastoral heart of how to deal with these issues. Issues. And so if you look back to Acts chapter 20, we see when Paul says the Spirit expressly says, he wasn't joking, that he literally, the Spirit literally said through Paul in Acts chapter 20, these words, verse 26, therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in amongst you, not sparing the flock, and from amongst your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commended you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Man, this is personal to Paul. Man, when he says the Spirit expressly says that Paul, we record, this this is literally a speech that he gives them earlier. Jesus also warns about this phenomenon in his ministry, most famously in the parable of the four soils, in which the gospel message is received with joy by some, but is choked out by various forms of loving the world more than Christ. On a personal note, hear me. Just because this idea of apostasy was predicted does not make it less painful. As I watch those who I studied the Bible with when I came to Christ and went to conferences with, and in my own family grew up singing this little light of mine with those who I loved and cared for, when they turn from the faith, it's tragic and it hurts. Just because it's predicted doesn't make it less painful. And I can imagine for some of you in the room, names have crept into your mind as soon as we read the text. And this, with the names, this wave of emotion. I don't have all the answers, but what I would say, as Paul tells Timothy, don't, do not quit. Do not quit. Keep clinging to Jesus and his gospel because it is glorious far beyond anything else the world has to offer. And do not settle for a less than version of the gospel that appeases tension. Take the burden off of yourself to always say the right thing, always do the right thing. That is not you, it's not your fault. Even Jesus was betrayed by someone that he cared for and loved perfectly. Keep praying persistently that Jesus would author a beautiful story of repentance and restoration that would be to his glory because he is the true author and perfecter of salvation. So number one, as we're building this church in the mess, in the wild, and some people are going to fall away. Number two, we see that you will have opposition. You will have opposition. We read about it in the second half of verse one into verse Two, it says, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons uh, through the insincerity of liars who consciousness are 
fear. We live in a world of agendas. I remember the other day, maybe this isn't you, this is me, all right? So I'm going to tell on myself just a little bit, all right? I have this uh, like Pavlov's dog response to the doorbell now, all right? And so maybe this is just a millennial thing. I'm not sure if it's like just my generation or what. But when I hear the doorbell, my reaction is not, oh, there's someone at the door. I should go answer it. My reaction is turn the lights off and hide behind a couch. Maybe we can wait this thing out. Maybe the person will leave us alone. Get into this kind of weird, unspoken battle with my wife. Like, man, I hope she answers the door and talks to this this salesperson, right? And, And the reason that I'm like that is because I know that the person ringing on the doorbell has an agenda. That as we get older, we realize that almost everyone has an agenda, something they want you to participate in because it benefits them. Now, sometimes these agendas are straightforward, and sometimes they are hidden. Paul is reminding Timothy here that it works the same in the spiritual realm, that there are two competing agendas calling people to participate in. There is no neutral. There is no spiritual Switzerland. There is no not getting involved. If you aren't fighting, you're, you're losing. And if you don't think that there is a spiritual battle, battle going on behind the scenes, you're also losing. We see there at the end of verse 1 and on into verse 2 that these ideas that people are buying into, they first, who they come from, they first come from Satan and his agenda and then are being proclaimed by people who are willing to lie for what they perceive as their own good because their conscience is seared. We see uh, all over the place that these voices are not dressed in black robes waving like some kind of red beam uh, around, right, to declare that they're evil, Right, that, that often these are the, some of the most popular voices, some of the most attractive people. We see artists, celebrities, politicians claiming and trying to pull people into their agenda. In fact, these two competing uh, kingdoms are, are, are in a battle. And as people speak, they, they are recruiting to different sides. They do battle by how they speak and how they live. This spiritual battle language would have been familiar to this church in Ephesus. Just a few years earlier in the letter to the church at Ephesus, Ephesians, Paul describes the kingdom of darkness as being ruled by this prince of the power of the air. And those who were in that kingdom did so simply by following the course of the world. How does it describe following the course of the world? What was this course? To simply follow the passions of their bodies and their minds, that that was the agenda. We see the same principle at work today, the same agenda taking place, an agenda that's embedded into the fabric of culture and continue to be proclaimed by these mouthpieces who have bought to the lies, calling like sirens to people, even in the church. Hey, give in to those passions and those mindsets. Live for oneself, that life is up to them, that they get to determine everything, that anything in the way should be eliminated. And this takes various forms throughout generations. One poem that someone taught me in college that's been really helpful uh, for me, it, it simply said, methods are many, principles are few. Methods always change, principles never do. And the idea behind this poem is that Satan and his lies have taken various forms over time, but they all have the same principle. It's this call to live for oneself. They've had different names. Some, just the American dream, that if you just work hard enough, 
get everything out of the way, you will get what you want. You can do what you want to do when you want to do it. It's evolved to things like the sexual revolution, that you can do whatever you want sexually, and it's okay. It's taken various names and forms over time, all with the same principle. Do what you want to do. Live the life that you want to do. This battle rages on today. This is so important. Just like in Ephesians 6, Paul reminds Timothy here in 1 Timothy 4 that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but the schemes of Satan and the spiritual forces of darkness. And through Christ, we have a weaponry that's needed, that's necessary to face the enemy. Now, here's important. It is a different kind of weaponry than the enemy is using. Satan's weaponry is lies and deceit. It literally comes from his character and his nature. Our weaponry is truth. Satan's weaponry is discontentment. We fight with faith. Satan wars with insecurity, and we stand firm in the righteousness of Christ. Satan shoots with fear. We fight back with hope. Satan plays with anger. We fight with peace. You see, we are either being molded into one image or the other, the image of Christ or the image of the world. How are you doing in this battle? Are you listening to the right voices? Are you buying into the lies? Are you fighting with the right weapons or are you fighting with the enemy's weapons? Are you growing in your ability to wield those weapons? Are you being drawn to the right kingdom or are you even fighting at all, just hunkering down and waiting for it to all end? As we build Fellowship Aletha, let us be a people who are engaged in the battle of preserving the gospel message and rejecting the voices that lead us astray. Let us be a people who are not fearful to engage in spiritual battle, but we will engage with the weapons that God has given us and not the world. And so number one, as we build this church in the mess, one, people are going to fall away. Two, we have an opposition. Number three, you must believe and know the truth, not man-made rules. We look at verse three, and Paul now gives us insight into the type of lies that Satan has embedded in their specific culture and people are willing to lie for and proclaim to the people to draw them away. He gives us two examples that are really one. He gives us marriage and food, right? They are so powerful at drawing people away because they appear on the surface as logical, but they play into the sin nature. I say they're two, actually one, because both what the lie is, is that if you divorce them from God, that you can use them for your own purposes. And Paul is combating that with truth. This is attractive to human nature. It's like this. I'm assuming I'm going to take a straw poll, all right? I'm assuming I already know the answer to this question. If I uh, asked how many in the room would like to go to Wichita uh, and to get there, uh, I'm simply going to drive in front of you uh, and you're going to follow me and and we'll get to our destination versus, uh, hey, I'm going to print out, I'm going to show you, here's the exact turns and necessary requirements to follow. Here's the instructions. You get there on your own. Who's picking follow me uh, to Wichita? That's what I thought. Very few people. Who is picking, give me the instructions, I'll do it on my own. Yeah, most, most people, right? And so this is a part of our human nature that what we would rather do is we would rather pick things that we can control, that we can operate, that we are in charge of. But instead, God, the gospel message gives us the spirit to follow, not just a list of rules. Do this now. Don't do this then. Do this one day. Don't do this another day. 
But the sin nature inside of us desires something that we can control, a list of rules, a checklist that puts us back in the driver's seat. The gospel says, follow me and trust me. And these liars, they come onto the scene and they take something that sounds spiritual enough and it's appealing because it gives control back to human performance. It doesn't appear blatantly evil, but eventually, without truth and repentance, it leads to the wrong kingdom. In fact, we see this most often about Satan's lies that we see in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Or as one of my favorite musicians says, sometimes the devil looks a lot like Jesus. And you can see how someone would buy into these lies that marriage is forbidden and they, they can't eat certain foods. Because Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, he, I wish that you could remain single, but also affirms marriage. Jesus in his ministry, he praises the life of a eunuch devoted to the kingdom, but he also praises marriage. And so someone could come on the scene and with just a small twist and ignoring certain things and highlighting others, they can be his mouthpieces, Satan's mouthpieces, and get someone to believe that singleness is the correct way to be a Christian and being married was a less than version. Or you can see these liars emphasizing Old Testament dietary restrictions, pointing to the scriptures and ignoring Peter's vision in Acts where God makes all things clean and telling people, hey, true believers would not do these things and they would do these things. See, what they do is they divorce these things from gifts of God and they give them to people to use for their own purposes. That's an attractive idea to some. The dangerous principle that they're selling is that being a real believer means that you do this and you don't do that. And I'm here to tell you which is which. Follow me. I'll tell you. These liars. This is a slippery slope that leads to legalism and performance. And when we make the gospel about performance, it's a very dangerous first step. Because when, when we, or inevitably the people around us, they fail, it makes it appear like we can't keep up. That that gospel doesn't work. However, for those who know and believe the truth, they know that the peace and freedom comes from trusting in Christ's performance on our behalf. That our ability to have joy and peace and hope comes not from how well we stick to a spiritual sounding set of rules, but how well we trust in Christ that he has already fulfilled the necessary requirements for eternal life. And we simply get to trust that we get credit for his performance. Some of us need to be reminded this morning Satan's lies, the mess, almost always starts with self-righteousness. This is almost always his first step, all the way from Eden into now, that the methods may change, but the principles never do to, to move someone from trust in God and his work to focus on their own effort and goodness and control, and then slowly move the goalposts until their life is consumed by what they think and feel and want, never realizing how far they've drifted from the true gospel. And then lastly, we see in the building the church amongst the mess, we see that you must use your freedom correctly. Look with me at verse four and five because I think it's important because freedom here, as we just talked about, that all things come from God, that all things are a gift. Freedom here is not an excuse for unholiness. And so if you heard that first thing and you said, hey, now this is awesome, everything is permissible, so now let me live for my own purposes, this is awesome, Paul puts a caveat in here. That's, that's not the mentality that he's talking about here. And in verse four and five, he, he talks about that. All things are permissible. Why? If they're received with thanksgiving and dedicated with word and prayer. 
You see, what Paul is not saying in verse 3 is that all things are a gift from God, so eat, drink, be merry, do whatever you want. What he is saying is that in Christ, all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial, 1 Corinthians 10, 23. That our freedom that we have in Christ is not a freedom that leads to selfishness or self-indulgence, but a freedom that allows us to use the things God has given to us as gifts and use them for him. In Galatians 5.13, we see that, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. And so this is what I think the temptation is for us in a culture. That you come to church, that you hear uh, people talking about spiritual acts, like uh, reading the word and prayer. And that the goal here is to simply, in my life, to increase the amount of time that I'm doing spiritual things and decrease the amount of time that I'm doing unspiritual things. So this is the temptation, right? That if I would just, in my 12 hours that I have, uh, whatever, awake, that I would just increase the amount of time that I'm doing something spiritual and I would decrease the amount of time to do something that is unspiritual. This, this frame, this mindset is, is not healthy. It is not what Paul is describing here. What Paul is describing here is that all things are to be bent and to given to God and allow him to use as he would do. A hundred percent of things. That is, uh, for example, we have money, right? That money is not part, uh, increase, the goal is not to just increase the amount I give to the church and decrease the amount of, of money that I spend on Taco Bell, right? Like that's not the goal. The, the goal is to, to see money as this gift from God and to not use it for my own purposes, but to say, hey God, I, I want to use this money to take a vacation with my family because I want to create memories that bond us together that we can love and serve and be together with, right? And this money over here, Lord, and, and this is your money, 100% of it. And so Lord, what I'd like to do here is I'd like to have a house that we could invite people over to and have community with, that we could use this money to, to, to give food to others, to form community, Lord, with this money, I'd like to do this and this and this for your kingdom and your purposes. Another example that we spend a lot of time talking about with teenagers is a cell phone. That a cell phone isn't inherently, there's nothing inherently evil about circuit boards and a screen that always seems to crack when you drop it, right? Uh, there's nothing inherently evil about that. But to take it and not to say, hey, this cell phone, this gift from God, that I'm not saying that you just can't ever use a cell phone, but to take this gift from God, this technology, and to not bend it towards our own purposes for the kingdom of the power of the prince of the air, but to take this cell phone and say, Lord, man, how could you use this? Are you telling me I can call anybody in this congregation at any time and say, hey, man, I'm praying for you. How can I pray for you right now? Absolutely. You're saying that in the cell phone I can create reminders throughout the day to, to remind me to pray for certain things and to get in the word and to do certain things? Man, that I can use this cell phone to have an app with the Bible and I can just carry it around wherever I go? This is awesome. Lord, uh, would you use this gift that you've given me? Would you help me bend it towards your purposes and use it for your kingdom? But you see, when liars come on the scene, they try to detach the gifts from the giver. And then we just add to the mess as we take God's gifts and use them for Satan's purposes. When we use God's gifts for his purposes, it deepens our relationship with him and it helps us accomplish making disciples and building his church amongst the mess. So in conclusion, in conclusion, we're looking at building our church, we're recognizing that it's not done in peaceful conditions, but it's done amongst the mess of this world. Many have and will fall away listening to the wrong voices, being deceived, slowly drifting. But I think that this, this promise of God is crucial to close with. How do you know that you're not one of them? Another victim just waiting for how you'll be deceived 
and taken astray. You see, there is a way that we can have security to know that no matter how messy life is, that your eternity is secure. It's what makes us sing what we just sang. I got a little bit of deja vu because in Christ alone is kind of our wedding song. Uh, and it's me and Kelsey's wedding song like seven years ago. And Brian's the one who played it during our wedding. So I'm like getting all this deja vu. And, and then we move into Jesus paid it all, which is like one of my favorites of all time. And listen to this line, no power of hell. I just wrote it down because it just hit me. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Those who are in Christ, he does not lose. You see, the scriptures promise that those who belong to Christ will be given a helper, the Holy Spirit, to help you know and believe the truth, as we saw in verse 3, that those who have this Holy Spirit are guaranteed to persevere, persevere through the trials of this world. We see in his letter to Ephesus, this specific church we're talking about, in chapter 1, Paul talks about this. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of your inheritance until we acquire possession of us. That guarantee is available today. And as Brian comes to play, and we have a little time of invitation, man, if you heard from the Holy Spirit today, that's, that's moving your heart to say, man, follow me towards Christ, and that you can have assurance, you can have security that when you put your faith and trust in Christ, that he will keep you until the end. Uh, today, this morning, I'll be up in front. If that's you, that you're saying, man, today I need to repent from my sin. I've been deceived far too long following voices that are lying to me, that are promising something they can't deliver. And instead, I would rather follow this Jesus who conquered sin and death and was raised from the dead so that I could have life. If that's you today, man, I would love to, to pray with you up front here this morning. For some in the room that are believers that Men are in the midst of the mess and they're trying to, to do ministry and love people well. Man, I hope today was encouragement. This Timothy writes probably some of the same questions that you have. Paul responds back, he's like, hey, this is promise. Keep persevering. Keep listening to the right voices. Keep trusting in Christ. And then for some of you, we talked about in the first service, man, some of you have names on your mind that, that you're trying to give to the Lord. To say, Lord, man, this is, this is my friend. This is my coworker. This is my family. I, I know this is them. Man, would you just spend uh, the time of the invitation just praying for them and thinking of them? Lord, the Lord doesn't do statistics, man, that, 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 that he saves anyone that are his. And so, man, today, would you just pray that the Lord would, would save them to bring them back to faith and trust in Christ? So I'm going to be up front. Uh, church, have a time of invitation no matter where you're at. We're going to stand and sing.